it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. So glad you're watching Fox and Friends and uh, watching perhaps 8 o'clock at night. This uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by Senator Bill Cassidy. How did he get a Grammy? You're going to love that story. And Senator Joe Lieberman, if you want a Democrat that can care about the country first and has a lifetime of experience, foreign affairs, uh, as well as domestic policy, it is Senator Joe Lieberman. You know, he's the one who came up with the idea of a Homeland Security uh, Division uh, Department, and it was well-intended. I think it's gotten way too big, but it was his idea. So he's going to be with us shortly. Is this the Joe Joe Biden that he used to travel with? Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I don't think the suit has merit. They really went so headstrong into trying to get the sexualization of the curriculum into the elementary schools. We don't think that that's appropriate in Florida. Parents, they want kids to be kids, and they want to focus on the basics of academics. That is Ron DeSantis, not from an old press conference, but from hours ago in Israel. This guy is ready for the for the major leagues. Uh, internationally and domestically. He took questions from everywhere. I know you weren't up. I was at 4 o'clock in the morning. So you're going to love these excerpts from these questions. Anything but easy. None of it was scripted. And now it's DeSantis versus Disney. Iger sues Ron. Ron responds why this is bigger than these two men, this state and this corporation, why I think DeSantis already won for all of us. Number two. I discovered that children are being trafficked. Some sponsors view children as commodities and assets to be used for earning income. This is why we are witnessing an explosion of labor trafficking. Tara Lee Rodas talking about what she sees at the border exposed. The Biden broken border is responsible for massive pain and suffering in America. Amongst the many illegals, hundreds of thousands are unaccompanied minors. 85,000 are missing. The pain was on display in hearings on Wednesday. You work. You missed it. We didn't. We will expose the death, destruction, and dereliction of duty. Number one. A photographer in the White House press corps got a picture of the president's placard in his hand. The name, outlet, and question from that L.A. Times reporter. The question that she actually asked the president was quite a bit more elaborate, but Biden certainly got a heads up on the topic and the general thrust of her question. Yeah, uh, the question's almost verbatim. Jackie Heinrich saw it, reported it, and now you know it. Taking stage, taking shape. The president's limitations are clear, but his party has the machine ready to grind down all comers. And Republicans want to make it clear. It's not all about Trump. Even though he may be leading now, we are still in spring training. That's my analogy. Uh, And let's talk about it. Last night I had Tim Scott on the 8 o'clock show and had a chance just to talk to Marco Rubio, too. This week also we talked to Asa Hutchinson uh, on Fox and Friends a short time ago. I want to pan the camera down. We're on Fox Nation, I should remind you. So the President of the United States get, answered a couple of questions. 
in a press conference setting. This should not be a rarity, but it is with him because obviously his staff knows what you've seen. He's not performing well, and they don't want to put him in unscripted situations. And when he is, they script it. No question. They script the questions. How do we know? You just heard Jackie Heinrich report. They have a picture of the L.A. Times reporter and name. Okay, that's fine. With it, the topic, okay, that's unusual. You gave the topic, okay. Sometimes they want to get on top of things, so you don't have to say, I'll look that up. Foreign policy, domestic, want to find out what's going on at the border. That's it. You don't say, when they ask you, well, what about the borders? Listen, I'll ask the question. And if they drill down on it, you just got to tell them no. I mean, I, I dealt with this before with a, in a, with a music situation. Of all things, they said, yeah, we don't want we need to know what you're going to ask. I said, I'll give you general. We just said, OK, you're not going to tell me your questions. Uh, just don't ask this. I said, I got to ask that. That's a major story. And then we didn't do the interview. So in the L.A. Times, this reporter gave the question. They had it verbatim. She asked it almost exactly like it was on the card. That should disturb you as an American. We all know there's a compliant press to a degree that leans way left. We understand. But to the fact is the president's got to get the question ahead of time is nuts. Here is the question. Cut to. Now we're going to take some questions. The first question is from Courtney of the Los Angeles Times. Thank you, Mr. President. Your top economic priority has been to build up U.S. domestic manufacturing in competition with China. But your rules against expanding chip manufacturing in China is hurting South Korean companies that rely heavily on Beijing. Are you damaging a key ally in the competition with China to help your domestic politics ahead of the election. He knew the answer, and his ally was South Korea right there. And you would need to be prepped for that, I imagine. I mean, not like uh, Ron DeSantis or, or Barack Obama, you know, because he's doing policy every day. He might not like the answer, but they'd be able to answer it. George W. Bush would be able to answer it. He might not like the answer. Donald Trump used to walk up and down the line, go, 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 go. And, you know, every question was about Mueller or uh, something about Jared being arrested. Nothing about the policy, Abraham Accords. But he just said, go ahead, throw them at me. I was, I'm used to that. So don't think it's, I'm putting down anybody's age. It's nothing to do with that. You have to be able to do the job. Tim Scott could do the job. I don't know if he'll get the opportunity in this cycle, but he's about he has an exploratory committee. He's probably two weeks away from declaring. He almost told me last night that he's in. But in response to seeing what we saw this afternoon, here's what he said, cut three. In 2024, the White House will be in control by the Republican Party. The Great Opportunity Party will win in 2024, without any question. We cannot take two more years of this presidency, much less six years. That is something we can't stomach in America. I'm doing everything in my power to listen to the American people, to understand their issues, to make sure that a principle-centered campaign that's, that's really cloaked in the positivity that we've seen over the last decade from me, as well as an optimistic view of the future. It has to be anchored in conservatism, though. Our, our policy positions are strong. I believe that getting in this race is indicative of the fact that our campaign will win and be President Biden. The enemy for the American people is the left. So Tim Scott would have no problem supporting a nominee if it's not him. I don't think anybody else besides President Trump would have a problem. I'm not saying he wouldn't, but if he gets beat, it's going to be close. That's no question. It's going to be close. And would he, you know, would he take a primary loss in a major state that he simply had to have? Or would he said it's been stolen by another Republican in a primary? 
I'm very curious. But making it clear yesterday, I don't know, did you have a chance to pull it, uh, Allison, the soundbite of John Castamatidis talking to, it's on there? So he made it clear yesterday what he put on Truth Social that's his excellent chance that Donald Trump will not debate. Uh, he doesn't feel as though he has to. Looking at the polls right now, Fox had a poll released yesterday. Uh, Donald Trump has 53% of the vote among uh, Republicans, primary voters. In March, it was at 54%. In February, it was at 43%. Ron DeSantis was at 28 in February. Now he's at 21, but hasn't declared yet. And there's a lot of hit pieces on it. Uh, Mike Pence had six, had six in March, had seven in February. Nikki Haley at four, three, had seven after she launched. Vivek is hanging in there. He's got, he went from zero, N-A, nobody knew who the heck he was, uh, to 1% in March. Now he's at 3%. Liz Cheney's got 2%, and Tim Scott's at 2%. So here's what Donald Trump said, looking at all the polls, when it comes to the debates, that uh, the first one will be in August. There was word that you may not do a Republican debate. Is that true? Well, I'm leading by 40 points. And a lot of people say, why would you do a debate? When you have people at 2 and 3 and 15 and 14, and uh, DeSanctis is coming way down. You know, he's, he's really showed us up. I guess that's where it ended. Uh, that is uh, way down. DeSanctis, did you think he intentionally mispronounced that? Yes. I thought so. When we come back, I'm going to talk to Bill Cassidy about that. president's got a point. You know, he almost feels like an incumbent. He didn't debate last time. He had no opponents, legitimate opponents. And Joe Biden's not debating. So that's what he's going to look to do. But I actually think that he's out there to sharpen himself. I would go do the debate. I'd go out and do it. And it's a way to unite people around you rather than saying I'm above you and other people saying he wouldn't debate me. I think it's going to be a tough spot. I think predominantly I think he's working the refs to get the best scene possible and to possibly let everybody know who he wants as a moderator. Brian Kilmeade Show, a lot to discuss. So glad you're here. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Dominich, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Dominich Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. With regard to age, uh, I can't even say, I guess how old I am, I can't even say the number. It doesn't, it doesn't register with me. And, uh, but the only thing I can say is that um, one of the things that people are going to find out, they're going to see a race, and they're going to judge whether or not I have it or don't have it. I respect them taking a hard look at it. I take a hard look at it as well. I took a hard look at it before I decided to run. And, uh, and I feel good. I feel excited about the prospects. And I think we're on the verge of really turning the corner in a way we haven't in a long time. I don't know what country he's looking at. And maybe Democrats agree with that, but not according to the polls. His approval rating, 41 percent cumulatively. Reuters says 38. 27 percent of people want him to run again, but he's doing it anyway. Uh, and age is just a number, depending on who you are. Senator Bill Cassidy is also a doctor, joins us now, and he's, he actually is a Grammy Award-winning doctor and senator. Senator, welcome. Hey, Brian, thanks for having me, man. Who would ever think? 
uh, Bill Cassidy Grammy Award. Wouldn't have thought that would be in the same thing. I, I want everyone to understand this story uh, because we have so much to go over. Senator, uh, you, just, you, you found out about this young group of female musicians in Afghanistan, and you got them out of the country where their life would have been over or destroyed. And what happened? Yeah, so uh, there's a, a visionary man who had started a school uh, in in Kabul teaching young people how to play classical music, and and uh, among them were about 200-something young women. Now, we can imagine when the Taliban took back over that those young women would have been punished, they would have been maybe forcibly married, and no matter what their age, they would have soon been pregnant, locked up in their homes. Um, uh, playing non playing secular music under the Taliban could be a death sentence. Uh, we heard about this. We worked with other people. The Qataris served as a go-between between the U.S. government and the Taliban. The Portuguese agreed to accept the women and give them a uh, vi- give them uh, visas and to allow them to stay there, continue their education, and 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 we worked it through. We didn't get them out before the fall because there was a bomb that went off that bomber, that ISIS bomber that went off. Uh, uh, right. Shut down the gates, but after that point, we're able to get them out, and now they're continuing their studies in Portugal. And you end up getting a Grammy for your efforts. Yeah, you know, because the Grammys—they're not just about the musician, but they're about the um, the support for music. And, and for me, I'm from Louisiana. I mean, New Orleans, um, great musical tradition. Our Arcadiana, great musical tradition. Tradi- Shreveport uh, used to have what they call the Louisiana Hayride, our version of the Grand Ole Opry. A great tradition. I understand. Uh, the the importance of music for expression, for bringing people together, um, frankly, for economic development. But but for these young women, it is more than that. They are a beacon of hope to everyone still stuck in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. This is what it can be like. We just need to get rid of the Taliban. I know, Senator, and this is what I was said. I admit. I didn't fight over there, but by keeping a small contingent of people, we would have given these people an additional time to become more part of a Western society, not a Western culture society, an opportunity to do this thing called learning, reading, writing, having uh, interests like they have interests. That happened because we were there, and now the Taliban's back, and they're going to bring them back to the Stone Age. But on this accomplishment, Pharrell weighed in. Listen. I'd like to also congratulate uh, Senator Schumer and Senator Cassidy for their recognition tonight. I mean, the work that those gentlemen have done and continue to do is just it's unmatched, and um, we, we, we certainly need it. That's pretty cool. Uh, congratulations on doing that. And that's pretty much why you got in the business. You could have been just been a doctor. You said, I'm going to, this is what serve. That's what being doing your job is for you. It's service. It absolutely is. And by the way, um, every one of us, Brian, is called to make a difference. You make a difference. You make a difference, and you encourage others to make a difference. And that's how our country is so great. Our country's not great because of the government. My gosh, anything but. It's great because of the American people. And you and I have the privilege to be among that troop. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, so I want to talk about real quick on the president saying four more years. The tape he put out, his finding out that he had to have his questions ahead of time verbatim from a reporter. Uh, what does it say to you as a medical doctor? I mean, to me, it does. it's so clear he's not up for this job, yet he wants to do it for six more years. 
I'm going to speak like a doctor, not about Joe Biden. You can decide what you want. But everybody, you know, you can kind of break your life down into decades. You know, you're born 10 years later, big difference. You're 10 years old, you're 20, big difference. Somewhere around your 30s to your 60s, 70s, your, phys- your, your, your body kind of breaks down a little bit, but your mind gets a little bit sharper, or at least, at least a little bit more experienced. And somewhere around 75 to 80, you begin a period of decline. Now, now, so think of, think about a you know a, a, a mountain. You just begin that downslope, and that when that slope downward begin when that downward slope begins, you can mark it over ten years. It's going to get worse and worse. So if someone is not the same that they were, if someone is not the same that they were six years ago, uh, and they're eighty years old, they've begun that process of decline, and it's not going to get better. It's well, going to get worse. I, Senator, I just can't believe that there's not another Democrat who says it's my turn. I mean, Republicans would be out there. Are you kidding? Barack Obama didn't wait. Barack Obama said, hey, yeah, I don't care if it's Hillary's turn. I'm running. Why, where's it, does anyone feel as though they could do the job better? You're supposed to be for the country. Uh, you know, I, Democrats have to sort things out. Republicans have to sort their things out. It's just an observation. What did, what's your thought? What am I missing? I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. You got to know that there is a power establishment behind President Biden that is squeezing everybody else out. Whether it is the major donors, whether it is just kind of the people in the Democratic National Committee, but they're trying to squeeze other people out. It may be because they think that the natural heir apparent is Kamala Harris, and Kamala Harris probably would lose. Uh, but I don't know that. Uh, they've got other people over there that are, you know, I think would have broader appeal to the electorate, not to me, but to the electorate. So, um, right. um, but I think that there's a lot of forces in play here beyond the president. I've been, I've been impressed with uh, President uh, Trump's team uh, that he put together. Got a minute left. I'm just wondering if he, oh, he just dropped off. All right. We only got about a minute left anyway, right? Uh, I want you to hear uh, this, uh, what I really wanted to bump in with. It's a 10-second bite from Tim Scott. He said this to me last night. I asked him, do you think Donald Trump can win? Because people like Trey Gowdy, Chris Sununu, said he can win the nomination, but he can't win the general. Here's what Tim Scott said, cut four. Well, more importantly, I know that I can beat Joe Biden. That is the issue on the table. If I get in this race, and I hope to have a decision before the end of May, I believe that we beat Joe Biden, period. So, Tim Scott, he believes he can win. Senator, we only have 25 seconds left, but do you have a pick that you want to see win the nomination? No, but I think, um, um, just being blunt, I think that the reason they want Trump to win our nomination is they think Trump's the only one they can beat. But that's just my, uh, that's what they say, so I'm just repeating what they say. Senator Bill Cassidy, thanks so much. Joe Lieberman next. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. A photographer in the White House press corps got a picture of the president's placard in his hand. The name, outlet, and question from that L.A. Times reporter. The question that she actually asked the president was quite a bit more elaborate, but Biden certainly got a heads up on the topic and the general thrust of her question. It was almost verbatim. Jackie was being kind. I've never seen anything quite like it. 
Um, especially if you consider the predecessor, nobody ever gave him a heads up, although he probably knew it was going to be about the Mueller report or about how great Anthony Fauci is and how he's screwing up the pandemic. Joe Lieberman joins us now, one of, my fa- one of America's favorite guests, uh, former U.S. Senator from Connecticut, vice presidential candidate, co-chair of the Bipartisan Commission on Biodefense, chairman of the United Against Nuclear Iran and author of The Centrist Solution, How We Make Government Work and How We Can Make It Work Again. Senator, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Thank you. You're you're one of my favorites, and I would say America's favorites too. Well, you are way you're way too nice. But I tell you, I learned more foreign policy from you, John McCain, Lindsey Graham, because you guys go out and see it. You don't say, "Well, this seems to be the way they're debating it at War College, and this seems to be where it goes at the Foreign Affairs Council." You go and meet the players over the last thirty, forty years. And I know Joe Biden was was part of the posse for a long time, and I know he's yeah. your friend, and I know he's from your party, but I'm I could not I cannot help but notice the decline that I'm seeing, and I just worry about the country over the next six years if he's to win reelection. You like him, and you you love the country. What do you think? Huh. first off, I just in passing want to say. Uh, you're absolutely right about John McCain and Lizzie Graham and me. Uh, Dave Petraeus, Gerald Petraeus, uh, after about our seventh or eighth visit to him in Afghanistan or Iraq, uh, dubbed us the three amigos. I mean, we just decided you're, we're being we got a responsibility as senators to make important national policy. You can't do it in your office back in Washington alone or talking to the Washington think tankers. You got to go out and. Uh, we did, and we learned a lot. And I'll tell you what else happened, which doesn't happen enough in Washington today. You know, you travel for hours on a plane, you talk to each other, you laugh with each other, and you become friends, and you trust each other. And so even if you disagree, yeah, on, you still work together. But on, on Biden, um, look, uh, he's 81, and uh, he's not uh, uh, the same as he was at 61. Almost nobody is. In my opinion, does he uh, have it all together now mentally? I think so. I don't see him a lot. I watch him publicly like you do on on the TV and radio, et cetera. Uh, But uh, there's no question his age is going to be maybe the biggest question uh, challenging him uh, in the campaign. And uh, only he can deal with it. And, And, Brian, as you know, it's not just a question of, is uh, whether people reach a judgment that he's capable of being president of the United States today. But w- how, how will he be uh, three years from now or, or basically, let's go, exactly. 2008 when he's 86? And uh, those are – anyway, we've never had this experience in America before. Obviously, we're, um, people are living longer and better, but still it's a, uh, it's a challenge. And uh, people are going to be watching him closely – and he's got to deal with it. He can't hide from it. He's got to deal with it. It's, it's To me, it's the big – I mean, there are obviously policy questions that people disagree with him on. But I think ultimately the big uh, challenge to his candidacy is his age. I think you're right. And the thing is, too – and I'll give an example. When I talk to you, you maybe you'll tell me you can only do an eight-hour day instead of a 12-hour day. What's the big deal? <laughs> you know, Or you know, maybe need an extra day off where you didn't have to. I understand it. I look at Bernie right. Sanders the same way. And I don't, you know, he's older, but he's still, he's still Bernie Sanders. Do I think he'd be a great president? Yeah. I think he'd kill us. 
uh, kill the country, right? But 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 you would would Senator, if right now I told you to hold a press conference, would you need the questions verbatim ahead of time? Uh, no, I mean it would be nice, but I never had that wonderful experience. Uh, so you know, I've lived with this for so long, and I must say. Uh, it's not quite like the boxer responding to the bell and wanting to go back into the ring. But, you know, once you follow all this for all those years, even though I don't have access anymore uh, since I left the Senate to classified material, I, I, I just I'm hungry for it. I read about it all the time and I think about it. And so uh, uh, and I learned I was trained. It wasn't easy at first that if you're going to be an elected official, you got to be out there and ready to take uh, the the questions from the media and public, but also, you know, you're going to be campaigning and people are going to stop you and ask you this or that. You better be ready to answer in a way that's that's honest and, but, and informed. Yeah, he's just not doing the press conferences. He He's not doing the uh, those sit, sit downs with, you know, ABC, CBS, uh, Fox, well, anybody. And then people would say this one of what, like the magic bullet would be saying, look, here's my 45 year old Teddy Roosevelt. In case something happens, McKinley had Roosevelt. You know, you had George uh, George H. Uh, w. Bush. Nobody thought he was not qualified to be president should something happen to Reagan. Here's what Ted right. Cruz said, because he worked with Kamala Harris, about the vice president. Cut eight. Can you imagine Kamala sitting across from Putin? Can you imagine Kamala sitting across from Xi? And, and, and when they stand up and bully America, which is what they do, can you imagine her just cackling ineffectively and weirdly and creepily? I, it really is amazing. Joe Biden's popularity is in the low 40s. Kamala Harris's pop- popularity is in the 30s. Even Democrats are embarrassed of the job she's done. And, and there's a reason why the Biden White House stuck Kamala in a bunch of those images with Biden. They're trying to rehabilitate all of the, the, the damage she's done to herself. Senator, she has not afforded herself strongly. And we watched her with the Polish press conference and she's right. giggling through it. Didn't go to the front lines and where the refugees were crossing. Her instincts aren't strong. And not many Americans feel good about her in the number two slot. And you can't move her out as the first woman of color as vice president politically. So what are we to do? Yeah, no, I agree with you. I don't think he can. Uh, Biden can't uh, change running mates, uh, although there will be people um, uh, urging him to do that. But uh, it's not his nature, and it's pretty hard to do uh, for, uh, in this case, with, a, with an African-American woman, even though he could replace her with somebody else. Uh, You know, I never served with her. She came into the Senate after I left it. I've met her a few times. I saw her just this last uh, February in Munich at the Munich Security Conference. You know, she gave a good speech, but but she hasn't. Look, I I talked about uh, President Biden's age as the big test for him. The the uh, sub-test to that, it's a big one, if you start to think about, unfortunately, as people will, will, will the president be okay uh, and uh, after after two, three, four more years in the White House, if not, um, uh, she's the one, the vice president, of course, will have the responsibility. I mean, God forbid if he doesn't live, but if he if he's not well and uh, she's not been good. Test. No, another great test. And, and the Republicans, uh, whoever, presumably President Trump will be the Republican nominee. It's awkward, but they will find a way. And if anybody 
well, uh, it's uh, President Trump, uh, to uh, raise the question about Vice President Harris's capacity to be president. And this is the great challenge for her. I mean, she had a wonderful reputation as Attorney General of California, and uh, uh, she came into the vice presidency and the Senate with that and then the vice presidency. But she hasn't uh, uh, gained the, the confidence of people, and that's the test for her. Uh, as uh, she, they, She's got to be out there in the, in the next couple mm-hmm. of years uh, to try to reassure people that she's ready to be president. And, I remember when when I when Al Gore asked me to run with him, um, he, you know, he said, uh, "Look, uh, I, I, after he decided he wanted me to be his running mate, you and I uh, think alike on a lot of things. Not everything. We trust each other, but the main thing that I've got to be able to convince the American people is that should I not be able to continue in this job, you, you could do it. And uh, you know, God bless him, and I'm." Um, <laughs> I was grateful he decided I was. And Almost that is one. the test for any yeah. vice president. That's and true. I just say this. You know what? I, I don't care. You can make a mistake. I got it. I do it. Uh, right. But you cannot hustle. There's no excuse for not hustling. And you get yeah. down to the border. You grab that jean shirt and you set up camp. You grab, you get yourself a Ramada Inn uh, room. You say you're going to be taking it for at least a month. And you're gonna, you sit out there and you see and you watch, you observe. You know why? Because the president asked you to. The president also sure. said, I want you to crack down on voting rights, whatever it means for a Democrat. And she didn't do it. She just didn't do it. I never saw anything like it. So, you know, you got to sort, you know, people got to sort out their team. But there's no excuse for not hustling, making a bad decision, having a bad answer, freezing. Okay, welcome to the human race. But not hustling, that's a decision. That's where I find it excusable. And I think you would have trouble tolerating it if you were the president. Uh, I want to move on just because you have so many areas of expertise. One is Israel. Governor DeSantis is in Israel right now and gave a press conference at 4 in the morning, our time. Uh, At which time he talked about this, that the Democratic Party sympathizes uh, in the latest poll, 53% sympathize with the Palestinians over the Israelis. Currently, for the first time ever since they've taken that poll, unlike the Republican Party, here's what DeSantis said about that. Cut 49. America does really well when we have relationships with countries like Israel that doesn't get consumed in kind of the polarization of the political scene. And I think, unfortunately, in the last five or ten years, uh, Israel has become more politicized, where you have the left going one way and I think the right and the center siding with Israel. And I think that that's unfortunate. The interests are very strong to have a good relationship uh, between the two countries. And I would like to think that that would be, you know, more important than some of the political currents. Look, the political currents come and go. uh, But when you start talking about a lasting alliance, that's something that really matters for the security of both countries. So that's what he's referring to. You must have seen that poll and you must be worried as a Jewish American. This must worry you. Yeah, I mean, I worry about it as a Jewish American and as an American who who cares about our our security and knows that our our American security and knows that our relationship with Israel is critically important to them, uh, to Israelis. But it's also important to us because, look, in the end, Israel is our number one and most trustworthy ally in the in the Middle East. With all the changes you see going on now, with I mean, the Saudis are very important to us, but but now you watch China coming in and broking, brokering some sort of detente between Saudi Arabia and Iran. That's very unsettling. But let, let me go back to 
uh, American uh, uh, public opinion toward the U.S.-Israel relationship and Israel, uh, I, I would say that in Congress, among elected officials, uh, Israel still enjoys bipartisan support, except uh, on the left wing of the Democratic Party and really the far left wing, which has turned uh, neg- skeptical to downright negative against uh, Israel. Um, but I, I tell you, Brian, I've seen a change in uh, the years, it's decades now, that, that uh, I've been involved in American politics and uh, in the attitude of the two parties toward uh, Israel. When I first got in, the Democratic Party was what I would call the reflexively pro-Israel party. The, the Republicans were not anti-Israel, but in famous words of a former uh, president or secretary of state, uh, they sort of favored a balanced policy between Israel and the Arab world. Uh, t- today, over the years, for various reasons, uh, that's uh, uh, flipped. And and uh, you just have to speak the truth here. The, the reflexive pro-Israel party is the Republican no party. No doubt. At the grassroots level, and the uh, one that now is skeptical is a Democratic Party. I said to you a moment ago that the uh, Democrats in Congress uh, and the White House are still uh, basically pro-Israel. But that poll um, that uh, showed that rank-and-file Democrats now favor the are more sympathetic, I think was the way the question was, to the Palestinian side than the Israeli side is, was a very— alarming uh, uh, poll. Maybe it reflects the uh, uh, division in Israel right now over so-called judicial reform uh, proposals that the Netanyahu government puts up, but it's it's a bad sign, and anybody who cares about the U.S.-Israel relationship has to really confront it, and that that starts uh, with Israel, obviously, and its leaders, but also with uh, uh, the Biden administration and Democratic leaders uh, in Congress. But, Senator, you can't – but when you go back in and you do this and it drove you nuts and you say, I want to reinvigorate that Iran nuclear deal, that undoes the the spirit behind the Abraham Accords, who realized – who, in, in going with Israel, realized Iran's the problem. Saudi Arabia says, OK, I'm isolated. I might as well make a deal with the devil with Iran, who are hardly an ideal, ideal country, but one we've always dealt with in the past. And now there's the UAE is now setting up relations with Iran. Iran reinvigorated over into Syria. Turkey, we have no idea. They're blowing with the wind. Our hands right. are totally off the uh, off the Middle East, and we're watching it, uh, and we're being critical of our one true ally in the Middle East. It's crazy. Final thought? No, I, I agree, and you're right that the, uh, the, the distrust and fear of uh, Iran that uh, Israel and the Arab world share is a big part of why uh, the Abraham Accords, which were historically transformational, were achieved. But, it, but if you keep talking about – see, I think part of what happened uh, is that uh, the Arab countries began to wonder whether they could totally – trust the U.S. to be with them in a time of crisis. And th- uh, that's true of the UAE, where I know the leadership was very upset with the Biden administration after right. they uh, – very people don't know about this much here, the terrorist attack on their big hotel. And um, the, the, they didn't hear from the administration uh, for like three weeks. And the Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed was very angry about that. And, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia is a power 
and they're flexing their muscles, and they Absolutely. see a contest developing between us and China, kind of Cold War II, and, and they're going to play both sides and, for their own benefit. I right? know, Senator, and unfortunately we're against a break, but you know who went over there? Lindsey Graham himself to meet with Saudi Arabia because he because yeah. the State Department evidently is too busy. Uh, Senator, no, and and he had great meetings. So you know, uh-huh. God bless him. He should keep traveling. All right, the way he does, and he's hey, keeping Brian, you informed. That's great, Senator. Always great to have quality time, Senator Joe Lieberman. Thank you, friend. Have a great day. Back in a moment. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to, to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, just closing out that hour, I just love talking to Senator Joe Lieberman. He's so experienced. But please tell me, you know I could not have had that conversation with Joe Biden. I'm telling you. I don't, I don't, I don't want to put him in an odd spot because they're friends, but they're the same age. Joe Lieberman, that's what Joe Lieberman talks, talks very deliberately. He's right on top of it. He says, I, I don't get the intelligence, but I get all the information, and I can't wait to read about it and be on top of it. And remember... He was a finalist. He might have been offered to become Secretary of Defense for Donald Trump. Not so much he trusted Trump and how much he knew. is like a different personality, like General King. General King knows he's different than us. He never served in the military, doesn't travel as much as I do uh, to get to know these players. But I could work for him. He would have been good as Secretary of Defense. That's what I think. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. We come to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry is going to be with us shortly. He's investigating into the financial organizations who are prioritizing climate change and ESG standards over the over. Making a profit for all of us. Can you imagine that? You have a mutual fund. You're counting on your financial planner to do the best to maximize. So you're picking out Vanguard or other things because you just want to be able to retire in a few years. And I'm not talking about the day trader. You don't need any advice. But for people who are don't do this for a living, you just assume that these, you know, the bloodthirsty Wall Streeters are going to do the most to maximize profits for all of us. Well, it turns out they're doing things that are politically correct or so-called better for the environment, which is always disputable. And that's why we need people now like attorney generals cracking down on this. What is your responsibility, you know, for us? You can't go out and take my money and do what, the, uh, what Sam Bankman-Fried did, correct? But to a degree, a much lesser extent, these people aren't looking out for us either with our money. So who's looking out for us? Well, we're going to look at that. And also, uh, I'm just stunned by there's this huge liquid gas opportunity in Wyoming. Red state, they want to do it. It burns clean. This administration just stopped it. How does that work in our interest? Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I don't think the suit has merit. They really went so headstrong 
into trying to get the sexualization of the curriculum into the elementary schools. We don't think that that's appropriate in Florida. Parents, they want kids to be kids, and they want to focus on the basis of academics. Uh, that is Ron DeSantis taking questions in Jerusalem about book banning and talk about the reality of it. And then he went into the details. He said, I grabbed a book from a elementary school library. I read it out loud and all the networks had to cut away from it because it was so sexually explicit. So if it's not worthy of the six o'clock news, he said, why is it worthy in a elementary school library? That's not book banning. That's appropriate for your kids in Florida. That leadership. And he was very comfortable in front of the world press. Number two. I discovered that children are being trafficked. Some sponsors view children as commodities and assets to be used for earning income. This is why we are witnessing an explosion of labor trafficking. I'm talking about hundreds of thousands of unaccompanied minors. I'm talking about 85,000 we have lost in our country. I hope they are alive. These kids, in many cases, are working 12 hours a day, not in school, with no contact with their family, even their sponsor. That's Joe Biden's border policy. Number one. A photographer in the White House press corps got a picture of the president's placard in his hand. The name, outlet, and question from that L.A. Times reporter. The question that she actually asked the president was quite a bit more elaborate, but Biden certainly got a heads up on the topic and the general thrust of her question. That is Jackie Heinrich pointing out that a photographer saw the card with Los Angeles Times reporter on it and the L.A. Times reporter with the question that was actually very close to the actual question. The press secretary is asking people not only the topic, which happens, but the question specifically writing it down so Joe Biden can prepare for it. It's an open book test in a country that can't have an open book president. Mark Thiessen, former chief speechwriter for Bush. Fox News contributor, Washington Post columnist, a fellow at the AEI. Uh, Mark, welcome back. Good to be with you, Brian. Mark, bring me inside the White House. I mean, George W. Bush was in on all these major decisions. If you got to go speak to the Iraqi leader, go talk to him. You got to go talk about the economy. Go into, he understood it. Uh, Barack Obama pretty much pretty eloquent on his feet. Bill Clinton was genius on his feet. I'm not talking about parties. If it, does a president ever get cards like that? Do you ever know exactly oh, the, the question? Time. Yeah, they, they, they always they, all the reporters always gave Bush the question ahead of time. Same thing with Trump all the time. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> you be kidding me? I mean, good lord! And and this is the thing that like so this is this is governmental control of the media because if if what happened with the, if you got a situation where so there's only two questions per leader right in this press conference. And so they're so they go to a bunch of reporters and say, what do you want to ask the president? And then they're offering up their questions to get picked. Right. And so that means the White House can not only choose the reporter, they can choose the question and the topic they want. So I, I can't imagine that they would pick Peter. Ducey, you know, He would never submit it. He would never submit it. He submitted topic. But like the idea that, yeah. that you can like actually that the white house press secretary can like some, you know, pick all the questions and then choose the reporters who get to ask the questions based on their submission and then prescript the answers for the president, obviously, because you know, the question in advance. I mean, it's like you'd, you would get you would get kicked out of college for an honor code violation for this. But apparently there's no honor code in the White House, and so they can do whatever the hell they want. Uh, but it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. You know, we always say we always use this term compliant press. 
Meanwhile, the, you know, yeah. they're not going to print. They're not going to ask a hunter question. Very rarely what it is, it makes news that you're asking real news questions. But well, this is this is a new level. How she feels about this. I mean, why did she submit her question? Why did you know this is, you know, she, if we're talking about the compliant press, let's talk to the compliant journalists. Why is anybody, has anybody interviewed her and asked her, why did you cooperate with the system? Don't you, don't you have any credibility as a journalist after this? I understand. I understand they are blitzing the LA Times with calls and inquiries. You can imagine. John, Donald sure. Trump got 71 million votes. Yeah, he may not have got as many they need to win, but there's a lot of people who are skeptical and not didn't vote for him. Kaylee McEnany used to do that job. Cut nine. The idea that a presidential press conference, you would be given the questions in advance and be able to write down first question and the exact question from the reporter, that is an inconceivable thought to me as a former press secretary. I mean, do you think that they submitted to me, we want to ask Trump, you know, why are you evil? <laughs> of course they didn't submit that to me. Um, but to Joe Biden, it's a different ballgame because the press, you're members of the administration. You might as well be at the Navy mess socializing with us back in the right. West Wing because you're not true members of the press if you're doing that. I think we'd be in a lot of trouble if we did that. I mean, if they found out we were doing that, it would be unbelievable. Well, that's what they do in China. That's what they do in Russia. <laughs> if you yeah. want to get called on by Putin, you're going to have to submit your question first. And I guess I guarantee you is it's not why is the war in Ukraine going so badly, Mr. President, because you're not going to call, get called on for that. Jeez. Uh, I want to get your take on – I know you wrote a column saying Donald Trump can win the nomination, but he will, cannot beat Joe Biden. Why do you believe that? Yeah. So here's the thing. So so Biden has is the most unpopular president in the history of polling, going back all the way to Harry Truman. On average, over the course of his first two years in office, he was below everybody except maybe Trump. Occasionally, he was back and back and forth with Trump. And yet, in the midterm elections, he had the best performance of any president since JFK, except Bush after 9/11. Why is that? It's not because voters approve of of, of Joe Biden. It's because they disapproved of the alternative we were presenting. Now, you what this Wall Street Journal poll came out and quantified this. So, Biden has a 54 percent disapproval rating. That should be. It, he should be dead on arrival as a presidential candidate. That should be the, the, the he should be like uh, Lyndon Johnson saying, "I'm not going to run because uh, I can't win the election." But they polled the people who disapprove of both men, right? They disapprove of Biden, but they also disapprove of Trump. And among those voters, 39% advantage for Joe Biden. He wins 54 to to 15 with Trump. So what that means is these swing voters who disapprove of Joe Biden disapprove of Trump even more. They don't like Biden's performance, but they don't want Trump back. And those are the voters. If you if we're going to win this election, you got to get the 54 percent who disapprove of Biden. <laughs> That's the only way you do it. Right. And so what's happening, we have this phenomenon where understandably because of this politicized indictment uh, and because he was a, he, he had a great record in office. There's a there's the you know, there's a surge in support for Trump now. Because he's gone from like the mid 40s to the 50s to the 50s in most of these polls, so it's helping him get the nomination. But he he's probably the only person who can't wrap Biden's record around his neck like an albatross and sink it. So, are you not factoring in that Trump has the best team he has had yet? That he has kept his powder dry for the last two and a half weeks, which is smart as people focus on Biden. And he does not want to, you know, leave it in the locker room, so to speak. He's not having a rally that would be nice for the moment, but wouldn't be sustainable. He seems to be much more organized. Are you factoring in that maybe Donald Trump at 76 has 
has uh, discovered discipline. Yeah. <laughs> for the first time in his political career, and the fact that for two weeks he's be, he's behaved okay is, is 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 giving me confidence. Here's the problem, I think, is that and look, you know me, I'm not an ever Trumper. You're not. You know that I've spilled more ink than any human being alive in the Washington Post defending his record and defending him during his presidency. I am not a never Trumper. What Donald Trump has done, unfortunately, is made himself irreparably toxic to the swing voters who are going to decide this election. This election is not going to be decided by the, the word Republican. is irreparable. That, that's the key. I don't everything yeah. you said, but you think irreparable. I think irreparable because the swing voters, you know, so so he had going into the going into the last election in 2020, 56 percent of Americans said they were better off now than they were four years ago under him. So people approved of his policies, but they didn't vote for him because if he had 56 percent of the country had voted for him, he'd be president. So he, he drove away a lot of swing voters who benefited from his policies but didn't like him. And then with his behavior after the election, he, he solidified that. And so now what you're seeing and all the polls bear this out, all the data is those swing voters are not going to vote for Donald Trump. And so he and so he he's alienated them so much that the, those 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 impressions are set right. in stone now with a lot of them. So we need somebody who can take Biden's 54 percent disapproval and wring it around his neck like an anchor and sink him. And Trump's the one candidate in our field who can't do that. The thing that might good. change Mark Thiessen's mind is President uh, President Biden's policies, especially of late, have proven so bad. The foreign policy has everybody I know nervous. The border, the testimony yesterday, what's happening. There's not one person who wouldn't want a clear-thinking person that wouldn't be. Un, uh, but that un- was true in, 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 in last November. I mean, that was true. That was, you know, that we saw but, that. But I mean, don't look, you think abortion played a big role in that in November more no, than anything else? No, I don't. I really don't. You don't? You know, I, honestly, no, I don't. I, I think that's the biggest myth. So. Every governor who signed, who actually signed an abortion ban into law, got reelected. DeSantis got reelected. You know, everybody's saying, "Oh my gosh, you know, we, DeSantis, DeSantis isn't great. Why doesn't Why doesn't Brian Kemp run? Well, he's, he's, he seems like such a reasonable guy. He signed a six week abortion ban, and he got reelected by like eight or nine points. Sununu signed an abortion ban. He got reelected. DeWine signed an abortion ban. He got re- reelected. It wasn't that. The only reason abortion comes into play." And maybe has an effect on the margins is if the other if the Republican candidate is so unpopular right. and underperforming based on this is, you know, if you're in a state where you should be winning by 10 points, but you're but you're but it's neck and neck, then abortion can make a difference. But if we if you have a strong candidate on all the other issues, then abortion shouldn't make it. It might cost you a point or two, but it's not going to make the difference in the election. That's not it. It was uh, Trump. Um, listen, um, I, I just think there um, I just want to get your line of thinking on it. The one thing is Trump is doing better in these primary polls than I thought was possible. I thought it was going to be neck and neck the whole way. I know I know DeSantis is not in. I know that uh, Senator Tim Scott's not in. Vice President Pence is not in. And Governor Sununu is not in. I think they all are getting in. Here's Trump yesterday with John Castamatidis and Rita Cosby on WABC Radio. He surprised me with the Truth Social post about the debates. And then he made it almost official, cut 12. There was word that you may not do a Republican debate. Is that true? Well, I'm leading by 40 points. And a lot of people say, why would you do a debate when you have people at 2 and 3 and 15 and 14? And uh, DeSanctis is coming way down. You know, he's, he's really showed us up. 
Okay, we Hello? stopped it there. It, it ended a little abruptly, yeah. but basically he does not want to debate. I don't know if he's working the refs. How do you feel about his line of thought, saying, I'm winning by so much, I was president, I don't need to do it? Well, let's see how, how he's doing by the time he debates. But look, in a, in a way, uh, I mean, he has nothing to gain from the debates because the only thing that can happen is that somebody, if he's leading, is that somebody can like hit, a, hit him in the solar plexus and, and he can't recover and then he hurts himself. So I don't know that he may be smart to not do it. But listen, there's there's really two GOP primaries happening right now. There's the Trump primary, which is he's going to get whatever, like 40 something percent of the vote like he did, maybe like he did in 2016. And there, there's a, another primary going on for the guy to go up against Trump. And so I, I'm quite frankly, I'm perfectly fine with having a series of debates among all the anti-Trump, uh, non-Trump candidates. And, and, you know, by the time we get to Iowa, if if one person hasn't emerged as the leader, then Trump's going to get the nomination. So let them debate. Let's see if anybody else can get some traction. Right now, DeSantis has the most uh, the, the the strongest uh, uh, poll, but maybe he won't do well. Maybe somebody else will emerge. By the time we get to Iowa, it's got to be a two man race. These people, if, if you're getting like you know, if you're polling at five percent or nine percent or eight percent, you got to get off the ballot and get out. And let, and, let, and let this be a two-man race. So, you know, I have no problem with seeing, having a Republican primary for the, for the right to challenge the, 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 the former president. Let's I, do that. I, want to, I want to bring you to Florida real quick, uh, where the president, uh, the, excuse me, the governor decided to take on Disney when they decided to call out some of his policies. Famously, they mislabeled it, don't say gay bill. And we know they took away their autonomous status. And then Disney uh, switched leaders, and now they, they pulled a fast one when they, uh, before dissolving their board. They put the autonomous status back. And then Governor DeSantis acted, and yesterday he's being sued personally in Tallahassee by Disney. This battle is going on. DeSantis was asked about this in Israel uh, two hours ago, cut 18. I don't think the suit has merit. I think it's political. I think they filed, you know, in Tallahassee for a reason because they're trying to to generate some district court decision. But we're very confident on the law. The days of putting one company on a pedestal with no accountability are over in the state of Florida. And and I just think that he's doing a lot of good for uh, for politicians and for the American people who are tired for corporations uh, bullying them. A hundred percent. I mean, look, if if this was Universal Studios and he was punishing them because they came out for it, I wouldn't have a big deal. I, I would say that's unfair because Universal Studios is just a company doing business. They don't have their own special district and tax status and self-governing rights, all the things. Disney is a, is a corporation that has been engaged in crony capitalism with the state of Florida for decades, and they got all sorts of exclusive benefits because they're such a big employer and they use their, their size to get all sorts of tax benefits, self-governing benefits, and all the rest of that. And then they go in and they attack the, 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 the state of Florida when they're trying to do something to, to protect kids. You know what? Uh, you, you lose your special benefits. I got no problem with that. Neither do if, I. If it, was, if it was just a small business somewhere who did nothing but speak out, mm-hmm. then that would be punitive. But this isn't punitive. This is taking away special benefits. And so I've got no problem with that. That's a concern. And we've got to take on these world corporations because they are a threat to our country. I hear you. Mark Thiessen, uh, always making news. Mark Thiessen, appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Take All care. Right. And by the way, Governor Stance is extremely impressive in Israel. Check out uh, what he did. No scripted questions. Just point it to people and let them talk. Can you imagine having a press conference like that? Those were the days. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. 
This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I do feel like the general public, they're waking up to this. Parents, dads, moms, they don't want to see their daughters lose out on opportunities and, and be forced to undress in front of someone of the opposite sex in, in their locker room. Um, so I do think tides are turning. There have been some sport, sports governing bodies who have done some good things. Um, World Athletics, FINA. Um, so I'm appreciating the little steps, but I do believe the battle is nowhere near being won. Yeah, there's going to need someone really damaged playing soccer, lacrosse, some type of physical sport for people to understand it. And there's going to need some flagrant victories by transsexuals. And the more this Leah Thomas talks, the more Riley Gaines looks smart. And all of you, you know the rules. You have girls, you are a girl, you're a guy competing. You compete against your own gender. show like no other it's brian kilmeade i don't think the suit has merit i think it's political i think they filed you know in tallahassee for a reason because they're trying to to generate some district court decision but we're very confident on the law the days of putting one company on a pedestal with no accountability are over in the state of florida and i will say a lot of floridians were upset particularly parents uh, that they really went so headstrong into trying to get the sexualization of the curriculum into the elementary schools. We don't think that that's appropriate in Florida, and that spans partisan, it spans everything. Parents, they want kids to be kids, and they want to focus on the basis of academics. So I'm just telling you, for those people who uh, are skeptical about Ron DeSantis, why is he waiting so long? Why is he taking on Disney? You should have watched that press conference today. And he is taking on uh, Disney. He is not backing off. Disney is now up in the ante, hoping uh, they get more Republican support because Chris Sununu, former Governor Jeb Bush, former Governor Rick Scott, Chris Christie think that uh, Governor Santos is doing the wrong thing here. I actually don't uh, think he's doing the wrong thing. I do want to add this news that a very popular governor, Jim Justice, will now be running, made it official. He'll be running for the Senate seat currently held by Joe Manchin. He has, in the latest poll, a 30-point lead over Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin has been doing a lot of interviews, did an interview with Sean Hannity. I guess he knew this was coming. Game on. So he's one of the richest men in America. Very self-made success story. Uh, high school basketball coach. Uh, now he uh, he's a little older, but now he's looking to be the next senator from West Virginia. That is a state that's been dominated by Republicans. That could be a, a quick Senate flip. Jeff Landry is Louisiana Attorney General, joins us now. Jeff, welcome. Brian, thank you. Good morning. Hey, I wanted to play that that corporate uh, before that news broke. I wanted to play that corporate fight that Ron DeSantis is having, even though it's a very unique situation, autonomous zone within a state. Do you think that's a fight Republicans should be comfortable with? Absolutely. Look, what we've been seeing more and more is that these corporations, because of the immense power and market share in some particular sectors that they control, they are instead of using their influence at the capitals uh, and with elected officials, they're trying to bend policy uh, to their, in, in, in their mind, they're, they're trying to affect policy through their boardroom and through their market share rather than through the normal democratic process. We've seen it at the Second Amendment. We've seen it with firearms manufacturers. We've seen it in the oil and gas sector. 
I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. And that's the problem. When you start to see these things, recognize that our system of government has completely broken down. Yeah, uh, I love the pushback. Do you notice there has not been a lot of corporate eruption since? Remember the All-Star game? Remember the pushback on the mischaracterization of the Georgia law? There has not been a lot of uh, overt corporations taking a stand uh, because they see it could be disastrous for their shareholders, and it's irresponsible. What you're focusing on is something that I think is extremely important, too. You're prioritizing uh, these companies like BlackRock, who are prioritizing climate change and ESG standards, over doing what they're supposed to be doing, and that is earning the most from the money we invest. Yeah, you know, Ryan, and then look, let me just say this. You, you're seeing a, a number of those boardrooms kind of quiet down for a little while right now because that's what the left does. They go out, they, they get a, a little bit of ground, they get some pushback, and then they stop, but they're still holding that particular ground. We want to go back and reclaim that ground from them uh, for the American people. And what we're seeing is these financial institutions, again, uh, embrace these ESG policies that are not sound business practices that basically force investors to invest in companies under which the technologies are not profitable or basically skeptical and, and, and they're a high risk stock. Can you give me an example? And, well, well, yeah. Well, look, do I give you a better example than Silicon Valley, uh, Valley Bank? Let's, let's just think about that. Think about the reason that that bank went under. Think about the number of companies uh, that they invested in in green technology uh, that that were not basically being able to meet their um, uh, the debt that they had as interest rates rose. Because again, many of these companies, especially in the green space, are reliant upon certain government tax breaks, credits, uh, grants, and so forth. And so what we're trying to do is make sure that these investment houses, the, 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 those people who are holding Americans' retirement portfolio are investing in companies that have a sound, true pri- uh, record of producing profits. And so, you know, we look at we looked at Franklin Templeton and we saw that they have executives that are sitting on on the uh, Climate Action 100 board and that they're basically instituting ESG policies in a way that they're investing and basically skipping over, say, oil and gas or fossil fuel companies, which have been known to produce great profits, okay, and affordable energy that Americans need. And they're basically shunning those particular companies for companies that that we don't know what their investment, what, what, what their profitability track record is. It's just crazy. Do you have you felt? I mean, as this Americans became aware of this maybe eighteen months ago, have you felt there's been a change in the Wall Street? These major forms, the BlackRock's, the J.P. Morgan's, and others. Because guys like me, who you trust financial advisors, whether you have four dollars or four million dollars, you trust financial advisors doing the best to maximize your earnings. But maybe they don't know, I was being informed by some of my business people, that this stuff is going on. Yeah, look, I, 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 don't, I don't think they've changed. I think they've done exactly what you said. They're just quietly going about still doing the same thing, which certainly doesn't place our retirement portfolios in any safer position. But let's look at, at CalPERS, right, the largest retirement system in the country, which is California's uh, retirement 
uh, board, right? That's that's what the state of California is holding all of the retirement portfolio. One of the things we want to know from them is, like, how much stock did you have in Silicon Valley Bank, right? And why did you invest in that particular bank? Did you invest in it because you thought that it had sound practices or did it meet some ESNG scores? You know, those are the questions that we'd like to find out. So, you know, again, Brian, those, those are questions that every American should be asking. I mean, the last thing we want to do is be looking back and finding that we've got some big Wall Street crash only because the investments were all made in companies that don't have the ability to turn over right. profits. So we're talking to Jeff Landry, the Louisiana Attorney General. So, uh, Jeff, I know West Virginia and Florida are starting to divest from these companies and taking their pension funds and going elsewhere, just pulling money out. Have you guys done that? We have been putting a tremendous amount of pressure on our state treasurer to do exactly that. He seems to be moving in that particular direction. Uh, we Look, Louisiana has been a traditional oil and gas state. We have 21% of the entire uh, refining capacity in the state of Louisiana. We produce great things that Americans need each and every day. The largest fertilizer plant in the country is right here in Louisiana. Yet financial institutions want to shun those particular manufacturing centers to go out there and build, I don't know, wind farms, right? I, that doesn't do us any good. doesn't make the, cr- the corn grow any faster. Or well, any well not, only, not only is that experimental and unproven, but they're not going to the thing that is proven and that the world needs oil and gas and we have it and that you produce it. So it's counterintuitive and productive against your own state interest to be to put any of your money or anybody put their money who refuse to maximize oil and gas production when we do it cleaner than anybody else. Well, exactly. And Brian, look, here's some maybe many listeners don't know. One of the key ingredients of making fertilizer is natural gas. Natural gas is used in the making of fertilizer. All right, so if we don't have any natural gas, we don't have any fertilizer, we don't have the ability to increase yields, guess what what happens? We end up starving. Right. People don't want to hear that. They just want to hear you got an electric car uh, and how clean (laughs) you're driving, but they don't want to know that that, that 70% of all the batteries come from China. You know, they, they they, they don't want to hear it. Well, well, let me give you another another great example. I was talking to a fellow the other day who was in the coal industry. All right, do you know that one of the byproducts of coal, when you burn coal, is ash? Yes. You can't make concrete, okay, without ash. You can't make steel without ash. Like that. that the problem is people don't understand the value that many of these companies and many of these products have that make our mm. lives easier and more. Uh, enjoyable. Look, I've said it again and again and again, and we're going into the, the, the oil and gas sector. There is no industry, no industry, and I'd love you find somebody, I'll debate them on your radio show, that has lifted more people out of poverty, not just here in this country, than oil and gas and coal. I mean, those forms of energy have become, are reliable. We've learned to make them affordable. Yep. We've learned to do it cleaner. The United States leads in the reduction of carbon emissions, yet we we receive all of our products from a country that has a terrible record in carbon emissions. And yet we're yeah. penalized while China continues to be able to build coal factories, continue to build reliable power, and Americans over here are suffering. That's why we see inflation. Jeff, and, and I'm going to have to let you go now, but I just did, yeah. you made your point. 
But you know what the other point is? I never hear from the oil and gas companies. I never hear people making uh, the coal industry making that point about ash and talk about the role it plays with steel. Very easy concept to understand, but unless you're in the business, we'd never know it. So if they they could make the case by telling the facts to what they do, and it would help bring people back into your industry. Because one of the diabolical thing they're doing is they're discouraging kids from getting into oil and gas as if it's a bad thing. And family legacies are dying in this generation. And you're, you're doing the good thing, bringing awareness to it. But they, these people in these businesses, in these industries, have to sell their story. And if they have money, get some PR, get some marketing, and do what the other guys are doing. Jeff, uh, yeah, look there. go ahead. Yeah, thank you. Thank, well, thank you. There are some folks out there. I know Tom Raskin has an organization called T. It's called um, – the, the Energy Alliance, I think it's, it's TEA. There are some of them, but you're right. I have been saying for a long time, Brian, we need to tell that story. And I appreciate you giving me some time on yep. your show today to say, to say that story. People need to know uh, what's happening before it's too late. Uh, Jeff Landry, Louisiana Attorney General, appreciate it. All right, uh, we come back. I'm going to take the phone calls from you, I promise. one 408 Brian Kilmeade Show, so glad you're here. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, uh, guess what? That means we came right out of the break, too, more to know. You actually surprised me, Josh. So that's my bad. When I redo this for the West Coast, I'm going to knock that out. I'm going to start right away. Hey, it's, uh, it's time for more to know. And I got, a, I got a fistful of stories, so let's get started. More to know. Sponsored by Spirits Capital Corporation. Barreled whiskey is the cash cow of industry insiders. But now you, too, can invest in premium American whiskey as it ages. Go to caskdeeds.com, C-A-S-K-Deeds.com to learn more. Paid for by Spirits Capital Corporation. You cannot hear that and not want whiskey. But now this story, Jerry Springer, one of the most influential and controversial figures in TV history, is dead at 79 years old. I'm here today to meet the woman of my dreams. I've been talking to this girl on the Internet for a while. I've actually been trying to save some money to go see this woman. You talk, talk to her online. I, I go to the library, believe it or not, to okay. talk to this woman. I met her on MySpace. Yeah. And I, she's a very beautiful woman. She's Tall, skinny, redhead, very beautiful woman. Her name is Joby. You met here, Brad, here on the uh, internet. Yes, we met on MySpace. On MySpace. You think this could be the one? Yes. And but I have a secret to tell him. You have a secret to tell him? Yes. And your secret is? I'm a man, Jerry. Right, he was. <laughs> what a great tribute. Right. If I die, promise not to bring up any transsexual interviews I've done. So what do you you pulled this cut to show how crazy Jerry Springer was? Now the crazy Jerry Springer that's mainstream. He We're was covering ahead of his it on time. the news. The 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 guest on Jerry Springer could be Dylan Mulvaney today. Literally, like looks very similar. Dead at seventy nine. Unfortunately. Next, Aaron Rodgers. For me, I was stunned. He is so excited to be part of the New York Jets. I am now a believer. This team can contend for the Super Bowl. He's that electric. I'm here because I believe this. I believe in this team. I believe in Coach Sala. I believe in the direction uh, of Joe Douglas. Obviously, he's drafted really well the last couple of years, having the uh, offensive and defensive rookie of the year. Um, but big thanks to 
the Jets organization. Obviously, a big thanks to the Green Bay Pack organization for an incredible run. Uh, that chapter is over now, and I'm excited about the new adventure here in New York. Uh, there you go. Aaron Rodgers pumped up, and the Jets fans are over the moon. They have not won since 1969. Class act. Also, when it was told that Joe Namath said you can wear my number 12, even though the Jets retired it, he said, forget that. Joe's royalty. I'm going to wear my college number, number eight. That's good news, right, Pete? Yeah, absolutely. But here's my question. You're a fan of, if, you're, if you're a fan of the Jets, right. are you upset that he wouldn't commit beyond this upcoming season? He says more than likely he'll come back. Listen, the guy just said in Mexico, would he have a bloodletting? Yeah. And didn't he sit in the dark in, uh, in the dark for three weeks? Yeah, I prefer only two weeks. Right. And doesn't he do psychedelic drugs with Joe Rogan or something? Yes. And right. he he was he inoculated himself from yeah. COVID. How he did that, I don't know, I but would, he did. I would, yeah, by the power vested in him. But I will say this. I think he's just being honest. Let's see how this goes. And then in the middle of the year, if it starts going well, I'm sure he'll make an announcement. If he does walk away, the Jets have less of a pick to give, right? 65% of the yes, snaps. Yes, as, as long as he plays less. If he plays 65%, then it becomes a first-round draft pick in 2024. Next, Dwayne Wade is moving his family out of Florida. Why? Because he's got a transgender daughter, uh, and he believes that Florida is unfriendly to transgenders. He said, another reason why I don't live in the States, a lot of people don't know it, but I have to make decisions for my family, not just personal, individual decisions. And he told that to Rachel Nichols, who got herself in some trouble a while, a while ago, who's unbelievably talented, by the way. So he's moving out of Florida. He's the one. Misunderstanding the law, but I will say you also have to make sure that your kids aren't bullied either. If this is right. what they is this all sports? You can tell Pete did this. This is all sports. It's sport, but transgender. I love it. Yeah, transgender. Apparently, though, he also had like a battle with his ex-wife, though um, his daughter's mother, about uh, changing her name and gender. So I mean, it's pretty controversial. So you talk about controversial subjects. It's not just college. Yeah. You know, it's not like can they wear sneakers at, at, in days to school where they don't have gym? That was the controversy in my house. But they say you wear shoes unless you have gym. And that was, we never stopped arguing. I'm still arguing about that today. Still today. You can't get over it. And now Which the trend of the white socks. One of the reasons sneakers. why I wore white socks up until every day, including my wedding, was because one time I went to gym in colored socks, and I forgot my days mixed up. And it was so embarrassing, I never wanted to be caught like that again, so I decided to wear white socks every day. So were you just embarrassed, or did kids make fun of you? I was just embarrassed. I don't remember people making fun of me because, I don't know, we weren't really a mocking town. Not a big mocking town. Not a lot of bullies. wore white socks at your wedding? Oh, yeah. And everyone was required to. No way. My whole wedding party. Should I wear white socks this weekend to my niece's uh, confirmation? You have to. Okay. You never know when you have gym. Pete, you never know. It might be a weekend gym class. You want to be caught? I love the way that gym teachers say they go, write your name on the back of the shirt and across your backside on your shorts, like right from cheek to cheek. But you don't write them once they're on. You write them before you put them on. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. This uh, We have a lot on tap today. I'm going to, at the bottom of the hour, uh, really look forward to this, be able to speak to Lindsay Barra, Yogi Berra's granddaughter, just about the dad's legacy, a brand-new documentary out, one of the most beloved figures in sports history. 
anywhere you go, if you say Yogi, they'll say Yogi Berra and what he meant as a manager, as a personality, as an ambassador, and he was a heck of a player uh, in the Hall of Fame for a reason. In fact, I was at Cooperstown this weekend, had a chance to see his plaque. Pretty impressive. Jonathan Turley is going to be up next, and then a little bit later, Dr. Jeanette Neshwat. Uh, she has come out. Not She found the problem. As she's treating all these COVID patients, she's finding one thing, depletion in vitamin B and vitamin C. She's put it together. It's got a brand new. Uh, uh, it's got a brand new supplement out. So check that out. Also, Anthony Fauci gave an extensive interview about his decisions during the pandemic. He did nothing wrong ever, and never had a mandate, and never said anything about anything. It is comical, but it's so beyond aggravating and dishonest. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. I don't think the suit has merit. They really went so headstrong into trying to get the sexualization of the curriculum into the elementary schools. We don't think that that's appropriate in Florida. Parents, they want kids to be kids, and they want to focus on the basis of academics. And that is Ron DeSantis uh, talking about the Disney suit when he's in Israel, which where he is right now. Iger sues Ron. Ron responds why this is bigger than these two men, this state and this corporation, and why I think DeSantis already won for all of us. Number two. I discovered that children are being trafficked. Some sponsors view children as commodities and assets to be used for earning income. This is why we are witnessing an explosion of labor trafficking. Yeah, that is Tara Lee Rodas, which he witnessed at the border is something that was exposed yesterday in hearings. The Biden broken border is responsible for massive pain, suffering in America amongst many, uh, many illegals, hundreds of thousands, which are unaccompanied minors. The pain was on display in hearings on Wednesday. They have lost track of 85,000 kids. We exposed the death, destruction and dereliction of duty. Number one. A photographer in the White House press corps got a picture of the president's placard in his hand. The name, outlet, and question from that L.A. Times reporter. The question that she actually asked the president was quite a bit more elaborate, but Biden certainly got a heads up on the topic and the general thrust of her question. And this is what I'm going to ask Jonathan Turley about. That was Jackie Heinrich. Not only did they not call on Fox, they called on the L.A. Times, and they knew the exact question that they were going to be asked. This, to me, is incredible. Plus, a picture of her laminated. you got to be kidding me. You cannot script the press how this president wants four more years, six overall, yet he's proving time and time again that he's not up for the job. He doesn't talk to the press. He doesn't make himself available. Yet he uh, takes long vacations at his vacation home. And yet, he never talk, never does anything unscripted. When he does, we find out it was scripted. Joining us now is Jonathan Turley. Jonathan, this is unbelievable that any member of the press, I can understand the subject. Hey, I'm going to be asking about this court case. Just going to tell you, Clarence Thomas, I want to find out what he's, you know, how you feel about uh, what he's doing with this billionaire. Whatever it is, I can understand the subject, but I don't understand the question ahead of time. Do you? Yeah, that's it's really breathtaking. You know, many of us have raised this question over the loss of an independent media. And the concern from a constitutional standpoint is we have a constitution that was really designed to deal with the classic threat uh, to free speech and the free press. That is a sort of ministry of truth, the uh, the imposition of, of government controls over media. But you can also have a state media by consent rather than coercion. And that's what we're seeing is that we're seeing a enabling media uh, assisting the president. I can't imagine any way a reporter could justify in her mind 
giving a question in advance to the president and at least not publicly acknowledging that. I mean, if this photographer hadn't taken this picture, this would never have come out. The reporter didn't say afterwards, oh, yeah, I asked a question that I had previously given to the White House. And not only that, this happened a year ago. Remember that card was exposed where it said, walk in the room, find the open seat, say hello to everyone, then welcome the press in. Basic things like wake up, put your feet on the floor, bend your knees, now lock your knees, put your right foot first. I never would expect somebody to need that type of prompting. What's going on? This is, to me, is really concerning. Kaylee McEnany weighed in on it. She knows a thing or two about this situation uh, as a former press secretary, as compared to a guy that obviously was never scripted. Cut nine. The idea that a presidential press conference, you would be given the questions in advance and be able to write down first question and the exact question from the reporter, that is an inconceivable thought to me as a former press secretary. I mean, do you think that they submitted to me, we want to ask Trump, you know, why are you evil? <laughs> of course they didn't submit that to me. So you understand uh, how outrageous it is for someone like her who who took incoming like I've never seen before. Yeah, that's the great irony here is that, you know, the media, of course, hated Trump and still does. Uh, but they've rarely had a president with greater who gave greater access. The problem was getting the president away from the media. You know, at points, it seemed like the media was looking at their watches trying to break off uh, because Trump would have these uh, you know, unscripted encounters. And, yes, he said things that really were breathtaking at points, highly controversial. But he gave that type of access. The president here is rarely given interviews. He's at the far bottom of modern presidents in terms of press conferences. And that alone would not necessarily be concerning because you can have a sort of rose garden strategy. Things aren't going well. But the concern is that it's occurring at a time when people are very concerned over his cognitive state. And, you know, what they're doing is fulfilling that narrative, whether true or not, by protecting him from any types of questions or unscripted encounters. I just I think it was the New York Times that said, you keep telling us, Mr. President, say, watch me. No, we, we would like to, but we can't find you. You're never around. Uh, so we'll see. He does, does say that. Don't judge me. Says two things all the time. Watch me. Uh, we are. Uh, number two is don't judge me against uh, uh, the almighty. Judge me against the alternative, meaning Donald Trump. Another alternative might be Ron DeSantis. I'm sure you weren't up at four in the morning or else I would have called you, Jonathan. Um, when Ron DeSantis had his press conference, but he was asked about the Disney lawsuit. And just to update you out there, uh, Bob Iger's Disney, now that he's in charge, is suing Ron DeSantis uh, for uh, basically saying that they unjustly are personally attacking this company and hurting their ability to earn money. Cut 18. It's political. I think they filed, you know, in Tallahassee for a reason because they're trying to to generate some district court decision. But we're very confident on the law. The days of putting one company on a pedestal with no accountability are over in the state of Florida. And I will say a lot of Floridians were upset, particularly parents, uh, that they really went so headstrong into trying to get the sexualization of the curriculum into the elementary schools. We don't think that that's appropriate in Florida. And that spans partisan it spans everything parents they want kids to be kids and they want to focus on the basics of academics and he's focusing on the fact that he took away their autonomous status when they started weighing in on different uh, policies that they uh, collectively as a company didn't like so what disney did yesterday is uh, they took action 
at the governor's bidding, the state's oversight board was purported to void uh, publicly noticed and, du- and duly agreed developing contracts, which had laid the foundation for billions of Disney investment dollars. A targeted campaign of government retaliation orchestrated at every step by Governor DeSantis as punishment for Disney's uh, protected free speech uh, led to this lawsuit. And they go on. Who has the better case here? I think the state has the better case. I read the complaint. I was rather underwhelmed. Uh, the, the claims here are going to be rather difficult to make. Now, the governor, as governor noted they picked a particularly good jurisdiction to file in, and so they may be able to generate an initial victory. But in the long run, uh, these are highly challengeable claims. They're making free speech claims and a takings claim. Uh, as examples uh, of where I think they're going to have a serious problem in in the courts. I mean, Disney hasn't been silenced. It's allowed to speak. What they're suggesting is that Florida doesn't have the right to essentially take away their special status, because what Florida is doing here is ultimately imposing the same requirements on Disney's other companies. For a court to say you can't do that, uh, because it might be a, a retaliation for something the company said would be a pretty far intrusion into legislative authority. I just can't imagine that a court's going to sign off on that. Also, saying that the takings is sort of weird. A takings is when someone takes something from you, the government takes something from you, and doesn't give you compensation. But what's being removed here is a special status. It's a status that yeah. other companies don't have. So I'm pretty skeptical about this complaint. The other thing is that I'm not entirely sure Disney can cite the previous uh, board for what it did at the last minute. It says that this was noticed. The state takes a different view, They and so does the new board. They don't believe that this was properly noticed under state law. You're supposed to give notice seven days in advance of what you're going to be doing. This was more of a jump scare by Disney. You know, they kept it sort of on on the lowdown and then made this decision before anyone could stop it. They may have been too clever by half in that sense. This thing could be dead as Dillinger because of how they did it. I always thought when Bob Iger came in, that would give him the out to just to, to calm things down. But it doesn't look like any effort was made on either side. And that's what we're witnessing now. What's interesting, too, and I, this is the political realm, Donald Trump is siding with Disney. We also have Jeb Bush siding with Disney, Governor Sununu siding with Disney, Chris Christie siding with Disney, and then Nikki Haley uh, tweeted this out. says, my home state will happily accept your 70,000 jobs if you want to leave Florida. We've got great weather, great people, and it's always a great day in South Carolina. It's, uh, it's not woke, but we're not sanctimonious about it either. So it's politics, yeah, I, but they're not going anywhere. Yeah, I don't understand where they're coming from there because – uh, this is a popular cause for DeSantis, certainly in Florida, and I think elsewhere. I mean, Disney is sort of the Battlestar Galactica. They're used to getting their way, and they're going to be fighting for the right to do things like setting their own environmental regulations and pay scales. That doesn't put them on the side of the angels. And so we'll see how this plays out, but it seems to me that DeSantis is in a better legal and political position going forward. What I have to say is I don't understand the legal strategy here. Disney, Even if Disney prevails, there's a myriad of ways that the state can make their life miserable. At the end of the day, they're going to lose. 
They're going to lose either directly or indirectly, but they're going to lose. And I'm astonished that Iger's doubling down. He had the chance, as you've noted, to come in and say, you know what? Flag on the play. You know, give DeSantis his day and say, let's repair this relationship. Instead, he's doubling down on a bad hand. And I think that's what this is. Also, he's looking at a situation where publicly he's letting off hundreds of people. Uh, this is what's going on at Disney. They, I think, excuse me, at ESPN, they just left off hundreds of people. They're doing it across the board on Disney. I wouldn't think that they wanted to waste any money uh, fighting something uh, legally. I got to ask you too. I have not been paying close attention, but it matters for this race, and that is the rape accusation from on Donald Trump uh, from 2025 years ago, and now that's morphed into a defamation case in New York City. They are going to be cross the the complaint. Uh, the plaintiff will be cross examined today. How where is this heading? Well, once again, this is coming down to the world's worst jury pool. You know, this is being litigated in a town where very few people have positive views of Trump. The most precarious aspect is that this is a type of case that not testifying can be really deadly. You know, because she testified yesterday in a very, she gave a very cheerful and and uh, emotional testimony about her claims of being raped. For Trump not to take the stand uh, could have a really bad impact on this jury. They may take the view that, look, if you're not willing to answer on mm-hmm. the stand for this, why should I really sweat the specifics? But on the face of it, this should be a difficult case to make. Uh, for the plaintiff. I mean, this happened so many years ago, and the witnesses they're going to bring forward are largely tangential. Obviously, it's a she said, he said type of case. And so normally, particularly in the defamation realm, that would be a fairly weak case to bring. But nothing is normal when it comes to Donald Trump. And you know, this is a risk for him, because even if this could get overturned later, a conviction here is not going to be viewed as a civil defamation ruling. It's going to be viewed as an, a reaffirmation of a rape allegation. Any uh, sense from your sources being in Washington, what happened with Hunter Biden's lawyers went into the Department of Justice this week? What does that usually indicate with a five year long investigation? You know, I think that Hunter Biden it really is his team is realizing that time is no longer on their side. And it's because of the House Republicans. They are moving very aggressively uh, to uncover some of his dealings. And I think that what the White House particularly would like to see is for this to be capped off, even if there is a criminal charge and a plea. And I think they would like to see it. Uh, um, come down with no FARA violations, no no allegation that he was an unregistered foreign agent, because that would blow back on the Biden family and his father, because a, a FARA violation would really raise the entire influence peddling scheme. And Joe Biden was the subject of that scheme. It would also put Merrick Garland in a bad position, because if he was an unregistered foreign agent, why didn't you appoint a special counsel since the president right. would have been the source of that? So I think that what they would like to do is cap it off before things get worse with all of these House subpoenas. Wow. Uh, Jonathan, I just keep adding up the bill. I'd rather pay at the end of the month. I don't want to pay per <laughs> appearance. I, I, I hit you on three detailed cases. Uh, I always feel bad at the end. I do feel like I owe you something because you certainly help our audience. Jonathan, thanks so much. Thank you.
All right. Uh, hey, listen to Brian Kilmeade show. Don't forget, listen tonight at 8. We've got a great show. They're just sending me the rundown now on the Fox News channel. And then don't forget One Nation, which is Saturday at 8 o'clock. I'm dominating the 8. You'll see a lot of Brian Kilmeade at 8 o'clock Eastern time. Dr. Jeanette Neshwat, in, in about uh, 15 minutes, you're next. Don't move. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He announced for presidency yesterday for president, and he did it through a video. He didn't even stand behind a podium and make an announcement. Who's ever heard of a thing like this? You don't do that. You get up and you say, I'm going to be running for re-election or president, and, and that's the way it is. But he did it through a video. It's pretty sad. That is a little of uh, President Trump's interview with John Castamatis and Rita Cosby yesterday on WABC Radio. Donald Trump's also on trial, accused of, uh, uh, accused of all types of things from 25 years ago. I believe rape was one of them. And now defamation is another. So he's got that. He's got the Georgia situation. Uh, we do not know what that attorney general is going to do. We also don't know what's happened with the Mar-a-Lago investigation. But there's been a ton of leaks. No leaks at all on what happened in Delaware. And there has not been an effective briefing of the gang of gang of eight on the intelligence that may have been in and that may have been in Joe Biden's garage, his summer homes, University of Delaware, as well as the University of Pennsylvania office, as well as his lawyer's office over in Boston. So when we come back, we have a little bit of fun. We turn down the heat uh, just a little bit with a very uh, special guest. And then we'll end the hour special guest in uh, with Dr. Jeanette Neshwat. Uh, and then we'll talk to Lindsay Berry, Yogi Berry's granddaughter, brand new documentary. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The real issue is how long do you keep that shut down? How long do you keep the schools closed? And if you recall and go back on many of the things I've said in a lot of interviews, is that we've got to do whatever we can to get the schools open and get them open safe and keep them open. And I've said that many, many times, but the initial decision early on in the middle of that crisis, I believe was the right decision. How long you kept them closed really varied depending upon the locale. And again, Anthony Fauci never stops. He's maddening in his deception. Uh, The initial decision is definitive. Uh, To shut down was the right decision. Fine. The six feet apart, totally made up, dating back 100 years to the first pandemic. That's a lot reason why a lot of these classrooms didn't close. They say, we're not going to have room for all these kids. What am I going to do? Bring them in half half the student body at a time? I can't even work that out. That means I need two sets of teachers. And then what he did is I wanted to open up as quick as possible safely. Okay, no kidding. The question is, what are you doing to characterize any school as safe? safe enough as opposed to the ramifications of not opening it up. He never compared it to the collateral damage of not opening up. Only looked at it from the medical side, not the psychological, emotional side, and we're still paying the price for that. Well, he's denying he played a role in that. A person literally at the tip of the spear with this in New York City, treating COVID patients, trying to figure out if respirators would be effective and if a vaccine would ever come. Dr. Jeanette Neshwad, Fox News contributor, family and emergency medical doctor. Uh, she's got a big announcement. Help boost your immune system in a moment. But Dr. Neshwat. Do you understand the frustration for uh, me representing the civilian, the the people of this world without a medical degree, have with Anthony Fauci? Oh, absolutely. 
absolutely. They have every right to be frustrated. They have every right to be angry, especially what we've done to our children in this country and globally across across the world. We, we, we've learned that children are the lowest risk cohort. They were the ones least likely to be hospitalized. They were the ones least likely to die. Yet we put on them the most stringent requirements and restrictions. And, you know, I understand, Brian, at the first two weeks, the first 15 days, you know, to, to stop the spread. That's understandable, two weeks. But then that two weeks turned into two months, turned into two years. And that's when things got under out of control. And it did nothing but harm our children mentally, emotionally, educationally, and development-wise development when it comes to their growth and their cognition and their interactions with other children, the way they interact, the way they speak, the way they see their teacher's face, which was covered up with mm -hmm. a mask. So you take all of this uh, together, combine it all together, and you see now they're declining with their education, with math, with reading, with their emotional status. We're seeing increases in anxiety and depression, increases in teen suicide, increases in ER visits because of anxiety and depression, and, and even substance abuse. So right now, we, we it's damage control. We really need to focus mm. on our kids and, and find ways right. and paths right. to catch up and help them heal. To show you how disingenuous he is uh, and, diabol and and deceptive is because I remember them scrambling to come up with some type of vaccine that would be in right proportion for kids for preschoolers. For infants, they're looking for a vaccine yeah. to get kids into preschool. Wait, wait, wait a second. You see, they're seeing the stats in real time. They understand there's almost no risk. There's risk in everything. You get hit by a car on the way. If you're walking to school a day uh, uh, on the way or driving, there's always a risk. But to do yeah. that a year and a half in was absolutely insane. And then we find out the teachers unions working with the CDC to make sure schools are closed. Randy Weingarten was on Capitol Hill yesterday, and she was basically admitting that she was changing the press release from the CDC with no qualifications. Cut 47. I just don't know. I, I understand that. What, but but what, me, when, when was the first time you engaged with CDC in any way, shape, or form directly? The first time the, yeah. was when they asked us to do the Zoom. I think the first time. Look, I'm 65 years old. I don't remember everything anymore. I'm sorry. But she admitted to editing that. And that as soon as you let a union president edit a medical document that allows teachers to stay home, I think you lost credibility and you should have, you probably should have been let go. Absolutely. We, we've lost credibility with the teachers unions, with the CDC, with the NIH, with, with almost every government organization because their priorities are backwards. And we always said follow the science, but that's exactly the opposite of what they did. You know, and, you know, forcing kids to go to school wearing masks, Brian, that didn't work, that made things worse for them, forcing vaccines upon them, not letting them go to school because of vaccine requirements, which is ridiculous forcing them through unnecessary testing. And then the lockdown, you know, it, it was completely inappropriate. Uh, we've harmed them. And, you know, just like what we see at the southern border with Mayorkas not doing a good job and, and hurting Americans, we see this with mm. Weingart hurting our children. And, you know, I happened to ran into her at the airport recently, and I, I said to her, do you have any regrets? And <laughs> I didn't get much of an answer. But, uh, you know, it, it's very unfortunate what has happened. It should never happen again. And we, we really need to do everything we can to protect our children. 
um, especially with, right. with all that they've gone through. You know, I, I've, I've taken care of thousands of COVID patients on the front lines. A handful of them uh, were children who, who were, you know, sick. Uh, most of them were the older people with, uh, with, with underlying medical conditions. And, and that's where we need to keep our focus, not on our children. And the other the other big thing would be firing nurses and teachers because he didn't want to oh. get the vaccination. I have a friend of, uh, who has a Sloan Kettering, I think, for 22 years. And after going there day and night, they said, oh, yeah, you got two weeks to get an evacu- uh, a, a vaccination and you're fired. And they fired her. And she's been unable to get a job since. Uh, that, to, uh, that basically brings her in where she was. That girl's name is Ann Masato. And she's been on our channel a few times. And she's still not hired back. I mean, you should be hiring back people back. Then we find out, Dr. Neshwaden, you knew this, that uh, immunity was good, if not better than the vaccination. And she got it. She got it right away. Yeah. So she had the antibodies she, in, a, in a like, no, sorry, you're fired. Teachers came back, but they went back as if they had no tenure. So they go back at year one. This is punishment. And this is the problem with mandates. If people want to know the difference between the administrations, Trump never would have mandated he was proud of warp speed. He was convinced it was going to be effective. Uh, I got in our, I got I got the vaccination. I don't regret it because mainly it freed me up to do everything. But I never got it to this day, uh, before or after. And you know I was working every day wow. in Manhattan. So yeah, you know you, you're more exposed than me. But I never got it. Yeah. So having said that, that he never would have mandated it has created so much anger in this country. I can't tell you. And then I'm watching video last week of kids in Ithaca, New York. And we have a station up in Ithaca in court, right around Cornell. And there, what, there's fourth graders walking outside with masks. That's abuse. That was, that's just pure ignorance. That was absurd. And I agree, it is, it's abuse. If you're outside playing in the heat with a mask on, you can't breathe. Some of these kids have asthma. That was one of the, the most ridiculous stupid policies I have ever seen as a, as a physician. And then you're absolutely right, forcing our military, our firefighters, our police officers that we desperately need, firing them for not getting a vaccine when and most of them had natural immunity, which you're absolutely right, in my opinion, can provide stronger protection than vaccine immunity. But you know what? Many people have natural immunity. Many people have vaccine immunity or combination of both. That should have been, you know, a, an alternative. That should have been uh, acknowledged if you have natural immunity, you should have the freedom to choose if you want to get the vaccine or not. That's the beauty of living in America is freedom and not to be forced to take a vaccine that does not stop you from catching COVID and it does not stop you from spreading it. Now, I will have to say that I did notice in my senior citizen patients um, who have underlying medical conditions like heart disease or diabetes or lung disease, it did help keep them out of the hospital. But risk versus benefit, like you said, there's risks with everything. Myocarditis can happen. Allergic reactions can happen. Rashes can happen. I've seen it with with all of the thousands of patients that I've taken care of. So we just need to use common sense and learn from these horrific mistakes that mm. uh, our leaders have made uh, and uh, gotcha. make sure that it never happens again. Tell me about the supplement you came up with and why you did it. Yeah. So even prior to the pandemic, I always had patients come in, say they were tired, they were run down, they were achy. Maybe they were just fighting a cold. And I I always like to use natural conservative measures and treatment. So I always say to them, drink some hot tea, take some vitamin B12, take some vitamin C. It'll help boost your immune system. And after saying that a million times, it just dawned on me. It clicked. I came up with what's called BC Boost, which stands for vitamin B and vitamin C. And it helps to help naturally strengthen your immune system, keep you healthy, keep 
strong. It right. also has a touch of zinc, which helps strengthen your immune system. And you can get a bottle at bcboost.com. All Do- natural. Uh, Dr. Nashua, it's great. I have it. Thanks so much for my bottle. And I look forward to seeing yes. you again. Yes, sir. Have a great day. Thanks for having me. All right. When we come back, uh, guess what? The game has changed, but one thing is pretty constant. Our legends are, are remembered forever, from Joe DiMaggio to Babe Ruth to Ted Williams to Yogi Berra. Yogi's granddaughter, brand new documentary, will be here with a clip and an explanation on why this was the right time to salute that great catcher. Don't move. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. To have Yogi not included in the greatest living players of 2015, I mean, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. I, I, don't, I don't quite understand that. There are only two people with more than 350 home runs and fewer than 500 strikeouts in the whole history of Major League Baseball. And their names are Joe DiMaggio and Yogi Berra. So that's some of the reason why uh, Lindsey Berra did not uh, went ahead and put a documentary together on her grandfather, Yogi Berra, because he was not listed as the greatest Yankees. The problem is, is the all-time greatest players were Yankees. Uh, Babe Ruth, uh, I guess Ted Williams, Boston Red Sox, but uh, yeah, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, uh, Joe DiMaggio, Mickey Mantle. And the question is, does Yogi Berra belong there uh, in the top ones? So, uh, yeah, let me know when we get her, and then we'll uh, we'll play some of that. Uh, real quick, the Yankees did go out to win last night. First time in a long time, they won 12 to six. Uh, the season high 12 runs, 14 hits. They have not been getting over three runs for a while. And they're now 14, 11 on the year. Uh, and they scored a seat and, and the Mets, uh, lost by a score of four to one, uh, yesterday. I was actually in Cooperstown on Sunday. So, uh, Lindsay Barra, this is a perfect time for you to come on. Lindsay, what prompted you, I understand, to do this on your grandfather was the fact that maybe you're worried that people are going to start forgetting how great he was? I don't know that it was like maybe. I just started sort of seeing kind of proof that he was. You know, the movie opens um, right before the 2015 All-Star Game. They had a ceremony on the field at the Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati, and they introduced the four greatest living baseball players, and it was Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, Sandy Koufax, and Johnny Bench. And I'm at home watching this on television with my very much alive Grandpa Yogi. And not that I think he should replace any of them, but if you're going to talk about the greatest living players in 2015, he should have been on that list. You know, he had more World Series than any of them, more MVPs, more All-Star Game appearances. And I just think he belongs in that conversation. And that's one thing that I want the documentary to remind people, that he really was a tremendous player. I think the yogiisms kind of overshadowed his personality, became bigger than his accomplishments on the baseball field. But I also want to give full credit to our producer, Peter Soboloff, because it really was his idea to do the documentary. I didn't, I didn't put the project into motion. Mm-hmm. It was really all Peter Soboloff. Um, but I do think that the doc, um, you know, goes a long way to introduce grandpa to a new generation of fans and remind the folks who did see him play and, and who are more familiar with him just how great he was as a ball player and, and really as a human being as well. 
So Edward R. Murrow, I couldn't believe this. This is on your documentary. Here he is asking your grandfather and your grandmother about the people who make fun of him for his yogiisms. Cut 53. Yogi, you take a lot of ribbing. Uh, does it ever get under your skin? Well, not at all, Ed. There's an old saying in baseball. If the ballplayers kid you, they like you. If they don't kid you, they don't like you. Does this kidding ever bother you, Mrs. Barrow? No, it doesn't. He's a pretty good bench jockey himself. <laughs> Mrs. Barrow, you call your husband Yogi, too? Yes, I do, Mr. Merrill, although I feel a little guilty about it. I feel that I should call him Larry, but we have a son named Larry also, and uh, I feel that it's easier to distinguish mm. between the two by calling him Yogi. So, Edward R. Murrow talking to, to your grandfather and grandmother, what's that like? You know, it's so funny. I've seen that footage so many times, but I'm just sitting here and even just listening to my grandmother's voice just brings a tear to my eye. I miss them so much. Um, That Edward R. Murrow footage is tremendous. Um, And and like you said, that's early. That's around 1953, I believe, that that footage was from. And a lot of that making fun of, you know, Joe DiMaggio said Grandpa looked like a fire hydrant. The New York press, he was called a gorilla, an ape. Uh, Someone wrote that he was too ugly to be a Yankee. What does that even mean, too ugly to be a Yankee? And Grandpa's response to all that was, you know, I never saw anybody hit with his face. So he was really able to let that criticism and the the poking fun kind of roll off of his back and kind of silence the critics with what he was able to do on the field at that point. But he just really, it's just proof that he really was kind of underestimated at every turn. He didn't look like a ball player. He Mm -hmm. was too short, too thick, too stocky, uh, apparently too ugly. I think he was adorable. I don't really know what people were talking about. (laughs) I actually, I 100% agree with you. Plus, obviously, we wouldn't talk like that now. I want you to hear, everyone knows Yogi Berra, but for a while he disappeared from the scene. He had a rift after the way George Steinbrenner fired him a handful of games into the season. They came back together uh, at the Yogi Berra Museum. Here's that moment. Yogi went to the door and let George in. And there's George. And Yogi says, you're late. George, I'm not late. And then they went into a room and had their chat. They started yelling. I heard yelling. I heard George yelling. And I saw Carm go in the room. And all of a sudden, the voices stopped. She wanted this reconciliation. And she wasn't going to let somebody's ego get in the way. Mr. Barra, Mr. Yes. Barra, you remember Mr. Steinberg. And I apologize to him, uh, and uh, I just hope he can accept my apology. So It's open. It's open. Yeah, it's behind us. What was that like? So that was uh, Susan Waldman talking there at the beginning, and she was instrumental in uh, mending the relationship between Grandpa and George. She just got on George's case and, and, you know, really appealed to him as a a fan of baseball and kind of made him understand that he was depriving a generation of Yankee fans of seeing Grandpa at the ballpark on the old-timers days and and depriving the Yankee players of getting to be with him and, and learn from him. And, you know, all George had to do was say he was sorry. Grandpa didn't care that he'd been fired in 1985. He cared that George had sent Clyde King, the assistant general manager, to do the firing. And he thought George should have had enough respect for him to come down and tell him he was fired himself. And as soon as George Mm -hmm. said that he was sorry, 
Grandpa was like, okay, and he was back at the ballpark the very next day. Now, I was not there at the museum that day. I was a senior in college, so I was uh, finishing up at school, but I was, you know, eagerly waiting by the phone to find out how that day went. And uh, we all got to go back for Yogi Berra Day in 1999, and Grandpa was at spring training that that year and and for the next 13 or 14 years. And I, I say very often that reconciliation with George and Grandpa's ability to go back to the ballpark and back to spring training and and interact with players like Posada and Nick Swisher and Derek Jeter, Bernie Williams. Um, Those relationships just kept him young. I think he probably did. And I think he helped too. How do we get the documentary? Uh, May 12th, it opens in theaters in Los Angeles and the tri-state area, only in theaters. And then each week thereafter, throughout May and June, it will be opening in different cities across the country until Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.